Welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I am his intern for biblical counseling, Josh Adair. This is the seventh episode in our series on sex and sexuality. Today we begin to discuss issues in fighting the battle of sexual temptation as a single person. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you'd like to stay aware of new episodes as they come out, you can download our app by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia SC in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A, our counseling podcast. I am one of your hosts, Josh Squires, and joining me as always is our other host, Josh Adair. Josh, thanks for being with me. Thank you so much, Josh. Again, it's a joy to be back. Okay, so we have been talking about sex and sexuality in this particular series. Yes, we have, and we've been talking about it a whole lot. We've we've given an overview of of what is our culture's view of sexuality. We mm-hmm. have talked about how does Scripture speak to our poor views of sexuality, what's good about it, what's bad about it. We've even, I think our last episode, we spent discussing what in particular, especially as we started to narrow our focus, what in particular from the life of our Lord Jesus actually informs how we battle against sexuality. Yeah. And it's it's been beautiful to consider that there's no area where our Savior does not know what this temptation is like for us. Right. Uh, just like in every temptation he faced, he was made like his brothers in every respect. And so our true elder brother knows us and knows this area of our lives, and we can run to him for it. But in this episode today, Josh, we wanted to begin to actually discuss, based upon season of life and and different station in life, what does it actually look like to fight the battle of sexual temptation in a biblically faithful way? Right. And so... So we wanted to, we were talking before this, we said we wanted to actually talk about the stages of singleness, then mm-hmm. marriage, mm-hmm. and then we wanted to discuss what does it look like even celibate or beyond even those stages of single, married, and celibate. And so right. so let's begin by talking in this particularly about the singleness piece. Yeah. So singleness is, of course, probably the most tricky phase of life to do sexuality well. Because you don't have a particular righteous outlet for your sexuality. The Mm. Bible really shows us that the only object of our sexuality is the person to whom we are covenantally committed. Mm -hmm. And so when you're single, you don't have in reality who that covenant partner is going to be. Mm. On top of that, uh, by our fallen biology, especially men, but men and women, as they hit adolescence and go into young adulthood and whatever, their biology is fighting them. Hmm. to be more and more sexually tempted. When you get older, it's not as if sexual temptation goes away. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen quite as often and with the intensity that it does, especially when you're in that... You know, 13 to 25, 13 to 30 sort of window. In which, I mean, obviously anyone from the ages of 13, usually to 20, 21, something like that, are single. So those are intense years to battle uh, Mm -hmm. the battle of having sexual integrity while being single. And plus, I mean, even culturally right now, when you think about the institution of entering into marriage, like those realities of when when that is socially becoming more of an option is even yep. later towards the end of 
of that age frame that you just presented. I mean, people are getting married later and later these days. That's right. Now, to be fair, in Dermaid McCullough's book on the Reformation called, appropriately, The Reformation, A History, at the end of that, there's an appendix on the family life of the Reformation, and men didn't get married until they were between 26 and 28 at the time of the Reformation. So oftentimes people think, Hey, people used to get married sometime between 19 and 21, and we just keep pushing it back further and further and further and further, and we're getting to this place unknown to history. That's not true. Yeah. We've been here before. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. That's right. It does make it more difficult to do sex and sexuality well when you're single all the way up until your mid to late 20s, though. Mm. Yeah, so a good question would be to begin with is what does it look like what are the what are the factors in the battle that we need to take into consideration in a discussion of how we live a sexually faithful life as we we've been building a fame, a framework if you will of being faithful sexual stewards of both ourselves and our own sexuality and those of of the people our, around us the people around us what does it look like to do that and what are uh, some factors first that we need to consider in the battle for sexual being sexually faithful stewards in yeah. this season. So I think first you've got to challenge some of the assumptions of sure. our current culture. Mm-hmm. And some of the assumptions of our current culture is that sex is a need. It is like your appetite, like a physical appetite. Yeah. That if you don't give in to a sexual desire, you are somehow starving yourself. Yeah. You're deforming yourself somehow. You're hurting yourself. It's dysfunctional to tell a sexual desire no. Mm versus telling your sexual desire not right now, which is what the biblical perspective would be, mm-hmm. is that we're not consumers of sexuality, nor are we identified as those who are primarily sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Our sexuality is a part of our being, but it is not primarily who we are. Yeah, And that it's not consumeristic. It's not about me taking what I can get in order to fulfill this need so that when I watch television or I go out, you know, there are people who would go out for the intent and purpose to look at other people and to kind of store them as objects of their lust, Mm -hmm. uh, which is so repugnant. Mm. Um, And not only does it not shepherd that person's sexuality sexuality well, but it sets us up ourselves so Mm. that our sexual needs always have primacy. And when it comes time to steward our spouse's sexuality, an, an act of sacrifice often, mutual sacrifice one to another, we don't know how to perform that well because mm. we have geared our sexuality for years, decades sometimes, to be something that I use solely for myself. Mm. Mm. So what I hear you saying, Josh, is that when we when we understand the factor that our, we live in a such a sexually saturated society that buys the buys the into the lie that sex is a biological need. When we live that way, yeah. we actually begin to deform our understanding of what First Thessalonians 4 says. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from right. sexual immorality. That's right. That each of you know how to control your own body and holiness. That's um, right. And so that, that's definitely true, because the moment that you begin to, to, to recognize that that's an unaccounted-for assumption— yeah in our battle against sexual temptation is the moment that you actually begin to buy into a different narrative of your identity. Right. Well, in a different narrative of the world, what you're saying is the book of nature, as some has called, have some have 
as some have called it, which is telling you that you have this desire that feels very intense, yeah. has precedent and priority over the book of special revelation in the word of God, mm. which tells you that that need is only expressed properly in one relationship, and that is the relationship of spouses. Yeah, that's 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 an intense way to put it. Yeah, and as one of as a mentor of mine has once said to me many times, it all comes down to the idea of did God really say? Yes, mm-hmm. right. And you can't import here in this one piece that the book of nature has priority over the book of special revelation. And then keep special revelation as the primary thing everywhere else. Yeah, and when we say special revelation, we mean as God's word, yeah, God's word reveals uh, His truth of Himself to us. It's something that we need because what we learn from nature is incomplete without what we know in His revealed word. That's right, and and the old adage that what nature can do is give you is, but it can't get you to ought. It can't mm. tell you how it should be. Yes. Because nature is suffering, as Romans 8 will tell us, nature is suffering under the fall. It's laboring under the fall. And so there are things about us naturally mm. as sinners that happen that are not righteous. So our constant desire to be connected to someone sexually from a very early age does not therefore mean that sexual activity should be normalized with whoever is willing to consent and as long as you do it in a healthy manner. That, that's not what it means. Mm-hmm. It means we have this desire which God gave us, which mm. should be righteously anchored to one purpose, or one person, rather, and yet sin in the world has distorted it. Mm. But mm. you can't get that from nature. No, you can't. That's, I mean, it's beautiful to, to even think about the fact that even in this area of self-denial, mm-hmm. our God has not left us without a witness. That's right. Uh, and, you know, there's a temptation to think in the area of sexuality that we have a harder cross to bear, but, uh, I mean, cross-bearing is one of the ways that we are made into the image of our Savior, Jesus. And so yep. uh, it's it's part of—when we buy into what Scripture says is true of this area of our need for, for our, uh, our sexual desires to be brought under the Lordship, under the reign of Christ in that way, right. we are actually— living within the constraints of, of God's good gift of our sanctification to us. That's and it's right. something that helps us begin to to see his good intention for us. Right. And it also helps us affirm of, of what is good about our sexuality, what is good about that. We don't have to deny it if we think that it's a biological need. Right. So that's that that begins to help us think, okay, well, if those are some factors that contribute to areas of potential pitfall, yeah. there are other lies that we believe, but what are the, the primary areas? You and I were talking before this began today of the primary areas in a single person's life where the ditches are going to be in, in their struggle for sexual, a faithful view of sexuality yeah. in our current culture. What do you think they are? Well, I think the number one thing is going to be porn and pornography. Absolutely. It is so easy to get to nowadays, and when you have a view of sexuality that it is a need that needs to be fulfilled, there is a very easy source where you can get that particular need fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be online through the consumption of images and videos and whatever else mm-hmm. of a sexual nature that will allow you to at least in the moment, feel like that sexual desire is fulfilled, although it's a very empty, vapid sort of fulfillment Mm. that leads down a very difficult and dark road. But sexual temptation and pornography use are so prevalent right now. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, incredibly prevalent not only by who is doing it, but by the age at which people are exposed to it. I was just reading recently that the average age of exposure now, especially for boys to pornography, is fifth grade. It's around 10 or 11 years old, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. You know, when we see images like that, our brain releases certain neurochemicals that are incredibly addictive. And it is supposed to be that way so that it draws you to that one righteous person, which is your spouse. Mm. And that when you guys engage in that really intimate activity, man, there's a, there's a, a strong biological desire, a, a magnetism that comes together that brings you together. Mm-hmm. But instead, when you get someone who's fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade that starts viewing those particular images, all of a sudden it is easy for them to get hooked mm. um, because that biological urge is so powerful. And plus you throw on it the isolating effect that pornography usage has, the the shame yep. uh, sort of cycle that comes along with it, especially in some of the dynamics of, of people who begin to establish those neurobiological pathways, like you said That's early. Right. That's right. Uh, it only it only further isolates, only further breeds shame, loneliness, and then even further reinforces the pattern of actually looking at those forms of media for the purpose of right. satisfaction. And it also only escalates. You know, I was I was doing a little research because we knew we were going to talk about pornography today. And I read one article the other day uh, that said uh, it's so prevalent in one sense that every second there's at least 28,000 Internet users who are actually looking at pornography. Every second, 372 uh, who are actually view- 28,000 that are actually viewing it, then every second, 370 internet users are typing adult search terms into search engines. Yep. Every, every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is being created in the U.S. Wow. It's our number one export. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's surreal. I mean, and it's not just something that's tied to men versus women. You know, in our culture, we might think men have the higher sex drive, but we've talked on this on this podcast before about how uh, it's it's less it's not as uncommon as people might perceive that women also have a higher drive for sexual intimacy than the man in their relationship, and so that's right. Well, two things there: one, it is not necessarily common, but it's not rare for the woman to have a higher libido, a higher drive for mm-hmm. sex and sexuality than the men. And, you know, some man will be like, ooh, that sounds awesome. I wish. No, it, it's not. It's usually not awesome. Absolutely. It's, it's actually a very shameful place. Um, women feel like there's something wrong with them. They shouldn't, but often do. If their sex drive is higher than their husband's, that there's something wrong with them, that their husband would like them or want them more. And it's just true that usually one of the two tends to be the higher libido, higher initiator. Uh, secondly, that when people stop and research pornography usage, again, there's um, a stat pack available by Covenant Eyes. Super helpful, gives you some sense of like who's using pornography and the trends that are going on currently. Mm-hmm. When I downloaded the stat pack a couple of years ago just to, to look and see what was going on, the number of or percentage of men and women looking at pornography between the ages of 18 and 25 that have viewed pornography at least once a month, the percent difference between men and women was only 3%. Mm. It was 85% for women and 88% for men. Yeah. So it's not like what it used to be even a half generation ago where men would have been 
four, five, six times higher from a pornography usage perspective versus women. Now you have women who are virtually the same. A 3% difference is virtually a non-existence uh, as far as difference is concerned. Mm. So virtually the same amount of pornography usage between men and women. Now what's driving men and women's pornography usage can be very different. And what is considered pornography can be very different where men tend to be visual. Women can be both visual, but oftentimes their pornography usage is things like using romance novels and other more narrative type of pornography. Sure. Um, so it's, it's not always a one for one. Also women tend to start using pornography oftentimes after they get married and not before Mm. now that's very surprising especially to men men are like well why would you do that why would you start using pornography after you have access to real sex itself Mm -hmm. and it's primarily for two reasons one because their husbands have so trained their sexuality over Mm. years of pornography usage yeah that they can only become aroused through very certain behaviors And so they're now trying to go catch up and find out what it is that their husbands get aroused by so that they can perform those same things. And Hmm. they're going to have to go and watch pornography in order to figure this out. And they find themselves hooked to that pornography, Hmm. which is terrible Hmm. and just should make our men uh, just break their hearts, right? If, If in their own sin, they then cause others to sin as well. And then secondly... Uh, because men aren't really talking about how to be good sexual shepherds, how to steward their wives' sexuality well, mm-hmm. and they're not getting good sexual training. Oftentimes for women, the sex act inside of marriage can be non-fulfilling, and therefore hmm. they turn to pornography in order to have a fulfilling sexual experience. A very vapid one, just like pornography usage for men when they're mm-hmm. single, mm-hmm. but one that at least feels in the moment like it is fulfilling. So men sure. and women both use pornography. They use it oftentimes for very very different reasons, uh, but it is the number one thing that happens, especially for singles and a place where they need to battle. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought it'd be helpful, Josh, just to touch briefly on the idea of why is this something that's so tempting, uh, especially in our cultural context right now? I mean, I even, uh, you and I were talking um, recently, you and I both have commented on the idea of it's. it seems like there's an uptick in it right now. Yeah. And even one of the resources that you just mentioned, Covenant Eyes, released an article during the period of the pandemic, said that one one gigantic adult website actually reported a 22% increase yes. in pornogra- pornographic or pornography usage during this season as well. And yeah. so would be interested to know if, if what framework you can bring of just the the reality of why is this something that is so tempting? Yeah. Well, and I think that probably early in the pandemic when we were more locked down, especially our singles were struggling because they couldn't be in person with people. There was no contact. And we're still in that place where touch is not okay if they're not already in your bubble or whatever. Sure. And so a lot of people are struggling to feel connected to one another. And what pornography does, one, it fights boredom. And people Mm -hmm. were very bored at the very beginning of the pandemic Mm -hmm. as all work got kind of pushed home and people were unsure exactly what to do and how to work and all that. People were trying to figure it out. There's a lot of boredom. And then secondly, it's a way to feel temporarily connected. One of the things that you get when you watch pornography post your sexual experience 
is you get this rush of hormones, one of which is what they call the cuddle hormone. For women, it's oxytocin. For men, I forget what the, it's a left-handed version of oxytocin, and I forget what it's called. But basically, it tricks your brain into thinking that you are connecting with somebody. Mm. And so engaging in this particular pattern of behavior, it helps you for a moment. It's only about five or ten minutes, but for a moment, it helps you to feel like you're not alone. Mm. Now, what it does on the backside is the guilt and the shame and the recognition that you are alone mm. and that you've given into this is actually so much worse. Yeah. And that's what sin does. Sin and Satan always makes you promises that it never fulfills. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, it's interesting that you bring up the idea of, like, how it physiologically makes you feel not alone. I've yeah. heard many men actually talk about the idea of like feeling wanted through yeah. the idea of fantasy. So yeah. it's so fascinating that it, it, it does that. But it's, it, again, we go back to the idea of what is this, where is this operating in terms of the, the yeah. book of nature versus what special revelation has told us. Yeah. It's the idea that this is something that was actually meant to be shared between two people who do actually want to share that covenant intimacy together. And right. it only reinforces that behavior that that framework for us uh, if we let it teach us where we actually should be looking for it that's right and i mean that sort of intimacy between two people genuinely shared is an incredibly powerful and wonderful thing that can Mm -hmm. give a relationship the sort of stability it needs that it might persevere through very difficult things which is why making sure that a marriage is sexually active is so important Mm. And yet we can be enamored with that result when we're single and want to feel (laughs) some of those results and therefore force it in the use of pornography use, especially when we're feeling bored and lonely. Well, Josh, it's so interesting that you speak of a particular time in which we might be uh, tempted to act out sexually through the use of pornography in our single lives. Uh, whether it's a time when we're bored or lonely, I, I think that's going to take us into a really fruitful discussion about how we actually begin to fight some of these issues of sexual temptation in our lives. But for the sake of time today and for our listeners' attention, let's, uh, let's, let's pause it here and, and just say that uh, we, we understand that this is a, a sensitive topic, and if something has um, come up in the course of our conversation today that you'd like to talk to someone at the church about, you can email me, jedair at firstpresscolumbia.org, or josh, Reverend Squires, uh, at jsquires at firstpresscolumbia.org, and we would love to meet with you and discuss this one-on-one if we can. Um, there's no reason to feel like just because this is an issue of temptation or struggle, ongoing sin pattern for you, that that you're beyond the pale of God's grace. And we want to encourage you and, and begin to practically talk about these things. But we also want to encourage you to tune in next week as we continue to discuss it. So until then, may the Lord bless you guys, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>